Father, who are you making us? How are you shaping us? How are you refining us? Enable us, please, to be people transformed by you whose dreams are greater than our memories. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. The scripture reading this morning comes from the New Testament book of Revelation, and we are reading Revelation chapter 2 from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, verse 29. If you have been with us over the last four or five Sundays together, you will know we have been steadily working our way through the book of Revelation, and today we come to chapter 2, verse 18, the church at Thyatira, and you'll find it on page 1915, page 1915 of the church Bible. Jesus, in writing to the church at Thyatira, begins with these words, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and perseverance, and you, you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her in a bed of suffering, and will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. I want to begin this morning by asking you to use your imagination. Imagine that you grew up in Mongolia, the Far East, China, just above Mongolia, almost on the border with Russia, almost northwest of Beijing. And this time last Sunday, you arrived in the United States for the first time. Your first time flying, your first time in a major city, and you had the last seven days to wander around New York, getting a feel and a sense of American culture, going in and out of stores, working out what is important to Americans, watching news broadcasts and cable TV, and overall trying to get a sense of who we are and what is important in our U.S. culture. 
Last Monday night, of course, you would settle down and watch the results of the Iowa caucus. And you try to get your head around all of that. And then last night, you watched another debate, and there is New Hampshire uh, votes coming up on Tuesday, and you watched all of the candidates, whatever party. You're trying just to get a sense of what is going on. Then on Tuesday, you watched the news cycle once more, and you saw eight or ten older men with top hats lift up a rodent to tell us what the weather will be for the next six weeks. And you think, okay, I wasn't expecting this. I may have more in common coming from outer Mongolia with the people in the U.S. than I thought I had. And then, of course, you hear of the Super Bowl coming up. And you think, oh, a sporting event. How would you get your mind around the greatest sporting event on the calendar? 114 million people will sit down this evening and watch it. How do you get your mind around all of that? In fact, yesterday, someone sent me a note on Facebook that said this, what if we supported our churches the way we support the Super Bowl? And if the pastor says something you agree with this morning, cover him in Gatorade. <laughs> oh, please resist that, please. Although Claire would be up for it, so if you want to, Claire's up for that. How do you get your mind around a culture you know very little about? And that's the challenge to us this morning as we come into Revelation chapter 2. And Thyatira is slightly different from the others we've been looking at. The others were established in well-known large cities who were busy in terms of commerce, in terms of being centers of culture. Some of them had libraries, theaters, one of them a stadium that would sit between 35 and 40,000 people, so sports was important to them. Last week, we noticed Pergamum had a library which contained 200,000 items. Some of them were commercially viable cities, trade, import, export. Others were cities, uh, main, province, main city for the province, the capital of the province. Some had Roman uh, soldiers based there. Others were centers of government. But Thyatira is inland. It's not a seaport. It does have substantial trade going on. It's not a large city. It is made up of trade guilds. And the trade guilds back in Thyatira were about textiles. And they focused on workers in wool and linen. Cloth was dyed there. A lot of leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers. There were some involved in slave dealing. Others were bronze smith and shoemakers. Certainly had a number of temples around, just as the other cities had. Worshipping Greco-Roman gods was the pattern of the day. Domitian, of course, as you know, was the Roman emperor. He was considered a god and worshipped as a god. In fact, he was considered the incarnation of Zeus, the son of the god Apollo. There was a lot of emperor uh, worship going on. And here is a small church in Thyatira where individuals have been impacted by the gospel. Their lives utterly transformed. 
and they have begun to understand what it means to have intimacy with the living God. Lives have been changed. They have a desire for prayer, and worship is now meaningful. Their moral lives and their ethics have changed and changed dramatically. But they still live in a culture that is actively involved in emperor worship, superstition of other gods, where sexual immorality is considered part and parcel of daily life. How does the Christian respond to living in that kind of culture? And that's the letter that Jesus writes to the church in Thyatira. We've had a flavor of the church, or rather a flavor of the culture, and how does he begin? He begins, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet like burnished bronze. And what he's saying there is this, that previously, before you came to know me, before your heart was transformed, before the Holy Spirit coming to indwell you, before prayer was a living reality and a worship, something you longed for, before all of that, you worshipped Zeus and Apollo and the emperor Domitian. And so, he writes to them to say, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, bright, penetrating. Later on in the passage, he, uh, Jesus talks about being able to see the motivations and desires of the heart and the mind and the soul. In other words, he can see what others cannot see. There is nothing hidden from, from him. He knows us comprehensively, extensively, fully like no one else. And so, he wants them to understand who this letter is coming from and why it is meaning and why it is significant. And the imagery used here of burnished bronze shoes is what? In Thyatira, there were bronze makers and there were shoemakers. And the idea of burnished bronze means what? Purity. And he's stamping out impurity, unholiness, unrighteousness, because ethics and morality matter for Christians. And that's the image right at the beginning of this letter. And then he moves them on. He says to the church at Thyatira, I know your deeds. You see it in verse 19. I know your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That's a good report. I think I would settle for that. That's excellent. And here is a church who are growing, a church that's seeking to be faithful, growing in their faith, perhaps seeing more and more people added to the life of this vibrant going congregation. All is going well. And in fact, he takes it a step further, and he says to them what? He says to them, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Sometimes in the life of a congregation, it is easy to look back the way, to the golden years, the glory years. You remember when we used to do this? You remember when we used to do that? Do you remember when so-and-so was in our Sunday school? And looking back is a good thing. It's helpful. It's healthy. 
but we cannot live there. And what Jesus is saying to this church at Thyatira is this, your faithfulness, your service, your love, your deeds, your perseverance is excellent. He is delighted with them. And more than that, he's also saying to them, you are now doing more than you did at first. And this is what he's saying. He's saying to them and laying down a biblical principle that your dreams are more important than your memories. Your dreams are more important than your memories. Who you used to be is good to be celebrated, to be encouraged. But as you move forward, keep your eye on who you are becoming, because your dreams are more important than your memories. But then he takes them to the next level, and notice what comes next. And he writes in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, in order to grasp what's going on here, there's a couple of things we need to understand. So please forgive me, for the next five minutes I'm going to jump from the 21st century to the 1st century and back and forward, and I hope it will make sense as you journey with me. And here we find, although things are going well in Thyatira, there are some major stumbling blocks. And he begins, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, in the 21st century, we use the word tolerate as something that is to be admired, something to be commended, and that, in many, many cases, is a good thing. Other times, we talk of zero tolerance. If you're in and around schools at all in the educational environment, you will know that principals in schools and school teachers talk about zero tolerance when it comes to bullying in the play yard or in the schoolroom. That's a good thing. And Jesus, in writing to the church at Thyatira, is also saying to them this, that if your life has been impacted by the gospel, and you are seeking to grow in your faith, and you want to walk with Christ day by day by day and be faithful to Him, there will be from time to time challenges that come your way, and you will have to make up your mind. There comes a point where you need to decide, and that's his challenge to the church in Thyatira. When it comes to immorality, there is zero tolerance in the Christian life. That's what he's saying to them. Now, of course, all of us would say that when it comes to a working environment, ethics and morality are important. When it comes to engaging with our doctor, when it comes to medical procedures, morality, ethics have to be high on the list. When it comes to a school environment or a family environment, raising children or grandchildren at home, ethics, integrity, authenticity, morality, 
All of these things matter. And if we are to be a civilized society, they matter. Now, the church in Thyatira, however, were living in a different culture. And the culture then was that <clears throat> eating food sacrificed to idols was no big deal. Sexual immorality, it's no big deal. It happens all over the place. It's just part and parcel of the culture we live in. Is that enough for us as Christians today to almost surrender and give up and say, well, that's the direction society and culture is going in? Well, we've just got to learn to live with it. Really? Really? We live in a day and age where the only certain thing seems to be change. And we live with change at an accelerated rate. But please understand this. As Jesus is writing to the church at Thyatira, He's also writing to us and saying this, the cultural change that is coming your way does not have to be overwhelming and unmanageable and seismic. But when the church stands together and says, we are not willing to surrender all that we hold pure, we can change and influence and refine and direct that change and the culture we live in. If we remain quiet and say nothing, the culture will roll all over us. Or are we willing to say, enough, we have had it, we go no further? That was the challenge to the church at Thyatira. That is a challenge to us today. Now, come back with me again to Thyatira. Here were individuals who owned family firms and small businesses. They were members of the trade guild. And at the trade guild, when they would meet regularly two or three times a month, they would often begin with a toast and a toast to Apollo, to Zeus, to one of the Roman Greek gods. What does the Christian do in that situation? The meal being served at that event, some of it was given and sacrificed to the gods. The rest was then served up for a meal. How does the Christian respond to that? How does the Christian respond today when we find ourselves in a situation where sexual morality is being ridiculed, resented, rejected, and then redefined. And the Scripture says, no. Sexuality is given to us by God as one of His great gifts, and it is to be confined and restricted intentionally and deliberately to a union of one man, one woman, within the bonds of holy matrimony. That's where it takes place. That's where it's enjoyed in all of its fullness. And it's one of His great gifts. And it's considered sacred. But we live in a day and age who reject it, Christian morality. They seek to resent it, to ridicule it, and then redefine it. Do we simply sit back and say, well, that's just the way it is? No. We take a stand on it, and we take a stand firmly on it. 
Now, you may be sitting there this morning saying, Richard, I'm with you, I agree, but hold on a second. Richard, I have no desire for us as a church who are always protesting against something, coming off as narrow-minded, coming off on the wrong side of history. Richard, please don't force us down that avenue. Well, that's not my desire and is never my desire. And I would never caricature Christian sexual ethics in that manner. Because not only are we to take a stand against, but we have also to model what we are for. And as Christian people, our job is to show marriage in all of its authenticity and credibility. We have to model it for children and teenagers growing up. We have to model it for our next-door neighbor, the people in our office, for our community and our town and our state and our nation, and say that's where you find real fulfillment in genuine, lifelong relationship. It's about commitment, not convenience. Agreed? Amen. It's not convenience, it's commitment, and it's life long. We model that. It doesn't mean we'll always get it right. Neither does it mean we'll, ever be, we'll never be mistaken. But that's where we go. We aim for the best. Having said that, what else is Jesus challenging this church at Thyatira to be like? The lady he talks about, Jezebel, was in the Old Testament, married to Ahab, the king. She was not a nice lady. In fact, she wasn't a lady at all. She was malicious and vicious, responsible for the death of who knows hundreds of prophets. She was involved in Baal worship. She was tyrannical and just an out-and-out -out bad person. And here is Jesus saying similar things arrive in the church at Thyatira, and he's saying, stop it. If you have been impacted by the gospel and have been touched by the grace of God, you are called to live a life of holiness and purity and fidelity in marriage. And that's what we stand for. Now, if, to go back and use my original illustration, a person from outer Mongolia, north of China, came to First Presbyterian this morning, what would we want them to take away? How would they understand the Christian culture? What is important to us? What is a priority for us? And it would be this, that our dreams are greater than our memories. Yesterday, we met, for most of the day, elders, deacons, board of directors, and our foundation we focused on our new strategic plan. And we asked ourselves again, what are we for and how do we model what we're against? And it was this. As a church, we will consistently seek to be a place of welcome on a Sunday morning, a place where folks can come and be comfortable a place where folks can engage with the living God. 
a place where hearts and minds and souls can be transformed and renewed, a place that is life-giving and life-affirming, a place where we seek spiritual excellence to equip the heart and mind and soul in order to live for Christ day by day. And if that means challenging society and challenging culture, that's what it means. We do it with grace and love and concern, never strident or aggressive or in a demanding way, but we stand for the things of the gospel. It's life-giving. It's life-affirming. What else do we stand for? Well, our hope and prayer is this, that each time we gather corporately for worship, when we gather, we will be in awe of God Himself, overwhelmed by His love and His grace and His mercy and His majesty. That's our single purpose on Sunday morning. We engage with Him first and are equipped by Him in order to live an authentic Christian life. That's where we begin. And in addition to all of that, we believe this. When we gather on Sunday morning and open up God's Word and He speaks to us and comforts us, strengthens us, sometimes challenges us, that is where we find our significance. Let me say it again. That is where we find our significance. That's where our dignity comes from. That's where purpose and meaning at the heart of the Christian is utterly fulfilled right there in the pages of His Word. We don't find it anywhere else, but we find it in Him. Why? because that's discipleship on the edge. That's a people whose dreams are more important than their memories. That's who we're about. And if someone did come into First Presbyterian this morning as a total stranger, that's what we would hope they would take away. Now, over the next couple of weeks, as we get further and further and further into Revelation, that is our prayer. Father, who are you making us? How are you shaping us? How are you refining us? Enable us, please, to be people transformed by you whose dreams are greater than our memories. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible portion of Scripture. Father, thank You that it brings to us great comfort, that You love us with an everlasting, eternal love, that You nourish and cultivate within us spiritual excellence, that You enable us to engage in a Christ-like fashion society and culture around us. Father, enable us, please, in the months and years ahead to shape and fashion that culture in a Christ-like manner. Father, grant each of us as we leave this morning, grant us to take away that biblical principle that our dreams are greater than our memories. And may we be the people of God discipleship on the edge of our culture, impacting for you because we know what it means to encounter you. 
Father, bless us, please, for we ask it in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. First Presbyterian Church will hold its 39th annual Turner Memorial Prayer Breakfast on Thursday, March 3rd. This year's speaker is Cleveland Browns quarterback Connor Shaw, who will speak at 7 a.m. following a full breakfast buffet opening at 6. Tickets are $10 each and are available at the church office Monday through Friday from 8.30 until 5. Tickets will not be sold at the door. For more information, call Lindsey Graham at 864-672-1841.